Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessings you bestow upon us. We thank you for a a big world with different cultures and and ideas. And we pray, Lord, that uh, all the people of the earth would know the the power of your love. Be with us now as we study your word. Uh, May we be convicted by it and inspired as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 51. And uh, there's a portion of this psalm that's actually part of our liturgy that we're actually doing in August at 8 o'clock service. So it's divine service setting three. Uh, For those of you who are uh, um, more seasoned uh, in uh, the Lutheran Church. It's page 15 of the old hymnal. Uh, that That's how they got people to buy the new hymnal. They put the old service in the new hymnal so that people would buy it. Brilliant, by the way. Um, but again, almost like we were talking about Sunday with uh, Thy Kingdom Come, I wonder sometimes when we're singing something, if we if we know the full context of what those words are and uh, how then they could relate to us when we have the fuller context of them. All right, so I'm going to read for you Psalm 51 for those who are online as well. Um, uh, But before I do, I want to set this up for you. Maybe some of you may know this, some of you may not. Uh, King David is uh, at home. Resting comfortably. Uh, His army is out fighting uh, the Ammonites. And uh, his favorite TV show isn't on, so he goes out on his porch. He looks across and he sees this beautiful woman. And she's bathing and says, I am a king. I really like her. And her husband is fighting for me in the front lines. Why don't you come on over? Now, we could have a great debate on whether Bathsheba was willing to do that, was forced to do that. That's for another day. (laughs) Whatever the case, Bathsheba comes over, and here we have now the beginning of a really sad situation where David's lust and greed... Uh, ultimately lead him to killing his, her husband, right? And um, it takes about a year, most theologians believe, uh, for a guy named Nathan to come around. And Nathan comes around and wants to convict David of his sin. And he tells him this tale, uh, which is fascinating because David... I guess for lack of better words, is ignorant to the fact that the tale is about him, right? Um, If you have grandchildren the age of my children, then you probably know this story best through the veggie tales. (laughs) Uh, Right? (laughs) It's a veggie tale. And to me, the best part is there. I forget what vegetable is telling the veggie tale, 
But as he says it to who King David is, he sings, you are that man. And that's what, that's what Nathan said. In the story that, that Nathan tells David, um, it's a story of injustice. It's a, it's a story of selfishness and greed. And it convicts David. David. David reacts to it without understanding that he is the one Nathan is talking about. Uh, and then when Nathan, when David discovers that it is him, he responds, we hear in 2 Samuel 2, 13, I have sinned against God. He recognizes that he has sinned against God. We're going to talk about that, by the way. because He doesn't say, I've sinned against Uriah or Bathsheba, but I've sinned against God, right? Um, and so, David, we believe, creates this psalm. It's a psalm of David. It's considered the first psalm in the second book of the Psalter. And it is David's, I'm going to use the word, although some people would disagree with the word. It's his lament. It doesn't fit a characteristic lament of Scripture, but it's his lament. So now that you know the context, hear now what David says. Have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Powerful, right? So the first thing I want you to know is, if you are lamenting in your sin, and you don't know the words to pray to confess it, here you go. Psalm 51. That's your liturgy. 
And I would encourage you, hi Lauren, I would encourage you to use it. What did you hear? What jumped out to you? Yeah, Greg, hold on a second. Wait for Larry, please. In verse 4, you had pointed this out earlier in your in your kind of putting it in, in context. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then the last part, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Just doesn't... Uh, in the larger picture, I think it's very true that we all, when we commit sin of any kind, it's against God. But for him to almost seem to qualify God's judgment in it, it seems, I don't know, very improper, I guess. Yeah. It, it does seem that way, and we'll come back to that. Yeah. Karn. I think one thing about David, excuse me, is that he always comes back. Yeah. He always prays when he knows he's wrong, excuse me, and <clears throat> returns to God. Yeah. Um, he's been recognized for his adultery. He probably realized what he was doing when he did it and avoided God. And then this person brings it to his face the wrong he did, and then he goes right to God. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the greatest, I'll speak for me personally, one of the greatest gifts that David brings to our faith life is, um, is his obedience to return to the Lord, even in his sinfulness. And I think it's a great example for us. The other thing that David often reminds me of, and I, you've maybe heard me say this before, that I think we lack in our church culture today is, bless you, is restoration, right? Um, we're, we are good at being Nathans uh, in Christendom. We're good at identifying the sin, and that's an important piece of it, right? It, it did convict David. Um, yet... Um, even in our sin, our hope should be restoration for that person. And typically the church, and I mean all of Christendom, typically the church is good at saying, you've done this wrong, and then we, then what do we you normally do? You're out. Right? And we don't create a path typically. Now, the person, the key here is that David seeks restoration, right? Um, and that's a part of it too. Um, but, uh, I think we could, I think all of Christendom could work on that maybe a little better. Someone else, Psalm 51, John. It's more of a question, I think, I, to me, I just noticed in, in the end here when he starts with, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, that there's a glimmer of the gospel here that he's kind of admitting that what I've done is so horrible that the ritual sacrifices you've given us, the Day of Atonement, all these other things out of the Mosaic Law, that's not good enough. He's kind of getting to this, that's not good enough to deal with what I've done. You just I, have to forgive me. He doesn't He doesn't understand the gospel, but he's got the point that 
Right. The ritual is not that is it, even though you gave that to us, this is so horrible. The sin, sin itself is so bad. Yeah. I actually think that's half of what he's saying. And I think there's a whole other half, too, that I'm going to bring us to in a minute. But I think you're right on that part, which is uh, what sacrifice would be sufficient for the depths of sin that I've committed, right? But then there's another half that I look forward to being, showing you in a moment. So, All right, well, let's see what Luther has to say. I have quite a few Luther quotes for you today. Um, hopefully I typed them all correctly. <laughs> so uh, here's what Luther has to say about Uh, Psalm 51, the psalm is one of the chief didactic psalms in which David teaches us what sin is, where it comes from, and the harm it does, and how we can get rid of it. For in this psalm, as nowhere else, sin is clearly depicted for what it is, namely something we have inherited and are born with, which no work on our part, but only God's grace and forgiveness can help. God must create in us a new spirit, give us a new spiritual birth. If not, sin is so powerful that according to David's psalm, it will crush our bones with fright and despair until God's grace comes to comfort us. Then, when we have been made new people by grace and spirit, sorry, and only then can we properly teach, praise, give thanks, and bear our crosses. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Luther. (laughs) Um, Right, yes. Um, To me, where where I think Luther really kind of hits home, it spoke to me, was um, when these sins are left on their own, they crush us. And sometimes, um, sometimes we have to wait in people's lives and even our own lives for that crushing to happen. Luther says, for us to realize, I'm, oh, I am lost. I am lost. Right? All right, let's take a look at uh, the first couple of verses here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from all sin. So he begins this psalm with a series of pleas. And, you know, have mercy, blot out, make clean. Um, all these things he's prepping for, uh, not necessarily to get into the, to the weeds of what he's done, but that he needs to be free from what he's done, right? Um, and what is that? His transgressions and his iniquities or his guilt, his sin. Uh, the words used in the psalm here are the most common used to describe acts against God and humanity. So, so one of the things I want you to be thinking about is how, how, you, how you fit into this psalm, right? We should allow ourselves to consider how we might read this and pray it for our own lives as well. So yeah, right from the start, we see what he's trying to do. Now, in a New Testament way, um, how would these words satisfy? Look at those words in verses 1 and 2. and uh, what is our hope amidst our own despair, just with the words you see there? Don't be shy. Yes, thank you, Alex. In our baptism, right? Wash me thoroughly. Well, in the midst of my sinfulness, I might remember that I have been washed thoroughly. 
and, uh, and I may reconnect to that in the midst of my transgressions and iniquities to find the strength to come to God in confession, right? To know that if, when I come with a contrite heart or a broken spirit, that God wishes to uh, remind us of the washing of rebirth we have had in the waters of holy baptism. Free school's here. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's really important for us. And the blood of Jesus, which we'll, we'll see in a few moments as well. For I know, Verses 3 to 6. For I know my transgressions. I have a, I wrote some notes in my Bible from a while back. Okay. So I wrote next to that. For I know my transgressions, my sins are before me. And I wrote, I know what I did, and I accept that I did it. Right? So this is the, this is the, the true tale of confession, right? Confession is acknowledge, not only acknowledging what you did, but accepting that you did. I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me against you. Only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquities and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in truth, my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secrets of my heart. Uh, so yeah, uh, maybe another way that we would look at it would be here at First John uh, that we say often as well in some of our liturgy, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words is not in us. Uh, now think about this with the crushing, right? Why, why are we so bold every week um, or perhaps even timid to to come before God and confess our sins uh, because we want relief from that crushing in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, and we do it in the confidence of knowing that when we accept that we've done those things, God is faithful and just, will forgive us, and make us righteous again. Uh, I would suggest to you that verse 10 is a real challenge today uh, in, our, in our churches I'm not going to blame the world yet, in our churches and in our world. Uh, we don't like to say that we've sinned. Larry, you're over there. Claire, yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Larry will not amplify you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the psalmist verse, I yes. mean, there's just so much of that crushing. There's this deep pathos that says... <clears throat> This is the only thing I can see right now. It just keeps coming up before me. And yes, I agree with you. I accept that I've done it. I, I say with you, God, that I've done this. Right. And you're right to judge me. That's hard to say. It is. And, uh, and that imagery, uh, Jean has something to learn. And that, and that imagery, um, you've all lived with it before. I know you have. Any, anyone plagued by sin, specific sin, has lived with this notion of, I can't seem to shake it. I can't, I can't shake the guilt. I can't shake the shame. I can't shake uh, the regret. I can't shake the memory of it, right? That's, it's always before me. And so David's helping us understand, what, first of all, when that's occurring, that there's, something that, there's some acknowledgement that needs to be done. 
But there is, there is relief. There is relief as well. And, that, and I think John, the, the relief comes in that confession. And by the way, sometimes, sometimes confessing your sins in Founders Hall and having me say, as a called and ordained servant, is not sufficient, hear me out, for what your heart needs to hear. Sometimes you have to come in my office and Mary needs me to look right at her and say, you're forgiven, right? To anoint her with oil, whatever, so that she can, can hear it in a more intentional and individual manner as well, right? Gene. The, the translation that you read for, for verse 3, uh, ESV, I believe, uh, for I know my transgressions. Yes. Transgressions, number one, is a churchy word. Amen. And it, and, <laughs> oh, so is that. <laughs> and, I, and I have reinterpreted that to mean little indiscretion, okay? Whereas the New Living Translation calls it rebellion, much more of an act of will. Uh, and I think at least resonates with me more yeah. what he's trying to get across. Yeah. No, that's, that's helpful. And I think um, if you think about any sin, it is a rebellion against God, right? And his will in your life. Karn. A couple of things. Um, I'm surprised on um, the fifth verse because, and in sin did my mother conceive me, my children were conceived in love. Absolutely they were. But they were born in sinfulness. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, this is not necessarily, I don't think David is saying that he was conceived in some horrific way more than the imperfections of a sinful world were with okay. me from the moment I was conceived. Okay. And then, um, in verse seven, I'd like some hyssop. We're getting to that. <laughs> You'd like some hyssop. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting to that. So... <laughs> Yeah, and uh, by the way, this is a good verse for us, believe it or not. This is a good verse to use when we're talking about uh, when, when Lutherans defend infant baptism. Do babies sin? Yes, because we're con- we are conceived in a sinful environment, right? Um, by the way, to Greg's point, I don't want to skip it. Um, why, is David say- why isn't David saying, oh, sorry, Uriah, sorry I killed you, <laughs> you know, um, other places in the Old Testament, um, we see that um, sins against humanity are sins against God. And a great example of that for you would be Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? Um, when, you know this story, this is when uh, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife wants Joseph to have a relation with her. And he says, no. His response is, in Genesis 39.9, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He doesn't say his master, you know. Um, and then I would say a step further than that. But, um, I, I wonder how much better the world would be if... Um, if I realized that when I did break the Eighth Commandment against you and spoke poorly of you to a bunch of people, which I haven't done, but as an example, 
Um, if I would recognize that it's not necessarily only an assault against you, but it is an assault against my God and who he's made me to be, right? Uh, I, I would suggest to you that, that in, our, in our acts of confession, we often get stuck saying, well, Greg's okay with it, right? He was fine with it. Well, I, I may want to go to God and say, God, I don't want to be that person who does that, right? It, there's a greater problem than me just speaking poorly about Greg. There's a greater problem in me about who I've become in doing that, right? Th- that we're getting close to sermonizing. So, um, And some would argue, some say this isn't about original sins. Some say it is. Uh, Lutherans say it is. So why? Because Luther said so. Here you go. Luther. Uh, the, the sin mirrored to David, the sin mirrored to David is whole soiled and corrupt nature, and led him to this conclusion. Oh, wait, that sentence is right because I looked at it several times. <laughs> behold, although I have ruled in keeping with, so he's talking as he's speaking as David. Uh, behold, although I have ruled in keeping with God's order and will, and God's people and His worship have prospered under my rule, yet into what frightful and grave sins have I fallen? Well, this gets good. Thus, David recognized. David's recognition of one sin led to an awareness of his entire sinful condition. That's what we're just talking about. And as he might have expressed himself, (laughs) good old Luther, although I am in an exalted position and have been divinely gifted to express lofty thoughts, I have fallen from heaven to hell. Oh, should not this wicked deed be an indication to me and to others that there is nothing good to do all in our flesh? So hang in there with him. He's, talk, he's talking about the sinful nature. And when we, let, when we allow the sinful nature to rule our lives. And I think he actually brilliantly describes... Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm getting in trouble. I, I think he brilliantly describes Americana, frankly. Right? We are David. What does David say? Hey, look, I'm successful. People like me. I have served well. I'm a good person. Right? We do that all the time in our society, in a society of means, right? Now, were we as well, are we as uh, kingly as David? Perhaps not, but work with me for a second, right? Uh, I've, I've done things for God. I go to church. Uh, God's people, we worship. Uh, we, um, you know, all these different things. And wait a minute. Oh, I'm still a sinner. We have a decision to make at that point. I'm a sinner and it's okay. Or, as Luther suggests, I'm a sinner, which means my whole condition is sinful. And when I live out that sinful life, I am giving up the destination that matters and going the other way. And so it's an opportunity to correct course, if you will. I mean, for me, that's, that's one of the greatest advantages of confession and absolution. If we're, if we're doing it with a contrite heart and with a willing spirit, you know, if we're really thinking about those words, um, it's a moment for us to say, and I reflect, oftentimes when I'm in that moment of silence, I'm reflecting upon my week and I'm, ooh, oh yeah, mm, right? I'm going through the week and saying, not a good time, not a good moment, not a good thought, right? And, and I have a choice there. 
the choice that we should make is, uh, this is rebellion. And I don't want to rebel against you anymore, God. And, as First John tells us, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins. And therefore, we are washed and made new. And, Karin, we get hyssop. Here we go. Uh, seven, uh, let's just, what do I have here? I realized when I was doing my notes that I missed three verses, so I had to go back and make it like a map. So, um, not that you need to know that, but purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. We'll stop there. Oh, restore unto me the joy of salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Amen. Right? Uh, Here's the thing. I think it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place, Claire, in the liturgy. It's after the sermon. Should be sooner. Should it should be before the confession, <laughs> right? We're singing it as a response, um, or maybe, may, or maybe I have to preach much more law-oriented sermons, right? So that you feel the uh, maybe I should be Nathan, and really give it to you, so that you stand up and sing that prayer. Um, I'll work on that, I guess. Uh, but would it be better to sing this at our confession? Anyway, to your question here. Now the psalmist returns to how he began. So he begins with pleading before the Lord. He comes back to that again. And he introduces to us the concept of restoration. Now he's seeking joy. He's seeking gladness. He's seeking, in my words, hope. He's seeking the tools that only God can give for, to him to move beyond this sin that is ever before him. Um, so, what is hyssop? David is thinking of how cured lepers and those who come into contact with corpses were cleaned. So, this is the imagery. I, I am so, I'm talking as David, I'm so defiled by my sin, it's as if I've been sitting with lepers. Or I've been touching corpses, which in that day you didn't do. You'd have to go and be cleansed for that. Um, So, mm, let me see. I have a scripture for you here. Um, How how are we cleansed? What is our hyssop, Karin? 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him... By the way, this is before, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, hyssop, his son, purifies us from our sin. So our purification, uh, as we walk among the dead of our sinfulness, is nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's a song, too. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Um, um, So, that's where we are um, as the people of God. 
in our hyssop. When we, when we seek restoration, we find restoration in our baptism, and, and our baptism leads us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you ask for a clean heart, you're asking for a heart that serves God and not sin. When you ask for a willing spirit, uh, you're asking to have the strength to do every good work willingly and joyfully that God has created you to do. It's a chiropractic prayer. (laughs) Readjust you back to be who God has called you to be. And then what happens, right? So I don't want to pass over too quickly, but um, that is, that is, Lord, I, I have mercy on me, one and two. I acknowledge that I have sinned and it's ever before me. And we have, if we just left it there and I have no means of overcoming that, therefore, God, create in me a clean heart. Don't leave me, Right? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Why? I need that Holy Spirit to move forward in my life, to have the strength to persevere. Isn't it great to see the Holy Spirit, by the way, in the Old Testament? Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me, the, uh, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Maybe said another way, remind me that it is you, O oh God, and only you that can free me from this condition. Okay? And when I'm free from it, there will be a response, right? Classic sanctification passages here. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight. Oh, we'll stop there for a moment. Because we're getting the sacrifice too. So, uh, the refreshing goodness and forgiveness of God should transform us. Okay. Luther, when we have received God's favor and righteousness through, Christ, to, through faith in Christ, we can perform no greater work than to speak about it and proclaim it. Right? This is where perhaps, personally, I may wish that we had a little bit of charismaticness, is that a word, <laughs> in our, what would you say? What's the word you used? Swagger. Swagger. There's a few moments in the worship service that I wish we could show the transformation that has been done in us. Luther himself says, when you have received the goodness of God, how can you not but proclaim it? And I don't, so then the question has to be, if we're not proclaiming it, have we, received the, have we truly been transformed by the goodness of God? Is the appropriate question, right? So after forgiveness, there might be a moment where we'd say, God, right? And of course, you know how I feel about communion. I know that it should be solemn, and I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't. But every once in a while, it'd be nice to walk back and go, I got Jesus in me, right? Uh, yeah, woohoo, that's right. It's debatable, I know. But just once in a while, 
When I was in New York, I was taking some classes, and uh, there was a bishop, bishop of a African-American church. I forget the name of a pretty big church. He was in class with me. And we would joke with each other because I would say to him, uh, boy, if we just had a 1% of the joy and delight and enthusiasm that you all have in your worship setting. And he would say, if we had just 1% of the thoughtfulness, because uh, his, his issue was emotionalism, right? That service wasn't truly service unless you got emotional. That was a big problem that he was fighting as the pastor of that church. So it's interesting. Everyone wants a little bit of something, right? So classic Lutheran doctrine, though, is uh, because we've been changed and transformed, there is movement in us. There's, there's a response in us. It's, and it, by the way, it's not forced. It's not fake. It's just a natural response uh, because of what God has done for us. Uh, the one commentator I was reading, I think it's Miller, a truly converted person is so happy over the grace and mercy bestowed on them that they always call to others, come. Right? Think about it for a moment. You know people who are struggling in their sin. Is, is one of our responses to them, come with me, come with me to church? I have a God who has promised to be faithful and just to you and to free you from that sin. Come meet my pastor. Come meet an eight retired pastor. Whatever. It doesn't have to be me, right? And even for you, the same thing. Um, it's the nature of who we are. So why wouldn't we say to people, come? We, we think your life will be better because you have this grace of God in your life. Okay? All right, here we go. To John's question. Here we go. For you will not delight, this is verse 16, for you will not delight, sorry, my note, I'm reading my note. I wonder when I wrote this, I wrote, yeah, teach them to learn, oh, not me. So what I, was, what I was saying there was, along the lines of David with sacrifice, that in, in the forgiveness that I've been given, let them see you, Lord, and not me. Right? We, we don't want to be arrogant in our forgiveness, but humble it. I just think it's funny that I wrote, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. If you come Sunday at 8 o'clock, you'll sing that too. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father. Okay. Uh, for you will not, this is interesting, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. By the way, he has every means to give it. He's the king. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Uh, a couple things here. I think that um, I think we have to remember that sacrifices are not offered by humanity uh, to appease God. I think sometimes that's in our mind. Um, sacrifices are necessary for humanity as 
symbols and acts which help us to come before God and see his restorative power in our lives, right? God doesn't need you to sacrifice a bull (laughs) to be God. This is what I'm saying. He created this system out of love for you, out of grace for you, out uh, um, out of a desire for you to know that there is restoration in his power and love, right? Uh, so here's what I would say. Oh, yeah, Karen, go ahead, please. I think in today's world, we have a very hard time relating to human sacrifice, to animal sacrifice, sure. to burnt offering. You know, yeah. it's just sick. But for, I see for David that that's not even the issue here. It's his broken spirit. So yeah. they could do this for show, but it isn't going to matter. This is this is he the, who is broken. That's correct. This is the point, right? Um, I so the first half, John is right, and that is um, ultimately what can we possibly do on our own to appease our sin? Right? A hundred bulls. A thousand, um, that's not what God needs or desires, right? Um, I think we have to commend David for understanding the, gr- the gravity of his sinfulness here. And, and for me, it comes out best here. We see it throughout, but it comes out best here because what he's saying is, I could do all the things that you've told me to do, that you've told our people to do, but is that sufficient, Lord? Ultimately, Karen, you've got the second half, right? Which is, it's a matter of the heart. Go back to stewardship, right? God doesn't uh, want your money. He wants your heart. So our relationship with God is a heart relationship. Uh, A broken and remorseful heart is one that is completely saddened and struck down by sin. It has absolutely no intention of raising itself up in self-righteous or self-will or anything else that comes from its own ego or initiative. Luther said that. I didn't write on here. I didn't say it, and I didn't put it up here for you, but I wrote next to it, Luther. I'll read it to you again. A broken and remorseful heart is one that is completely saddened and struck down by sin. It has absolutely no intention of raising itself up in self-righteousness or self-will or anything else that comes from its own ego or initiative. Right? Which is contrary (laughs) to what we're tempted to do in our human nature. You know, even even in our confession, we often will use that confession... To build ourselves up to what a good, what a great person I am, right? I'm confessing my sin. <laughs> no, uh, what David is saying here is the proper sacrifice um, is a grateful, humble heart that acknowledges its dependency on God. That ultimately is the greatest sacrifice. And think about it for a sec. It is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our human nature. It's a sacrifice of our will. It's a sacrifice of our sinful condition, which is 
much more difficult to give than a bull or a dove. Right? So, for, for us, Romans 8, 15 to 16, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, so for us, we, we find the courage uh, to come before the Lord on our hands and knees, even, and say, Lord, all I can bring you, all I can bring before you today, Lord, is my brokenness. And when we do that, we do it in the confidence that, that this father uh, will be like the father waiting for his son, the prodigal son, to return. Right? That this, that this father uh, is the father who sees Joseph alive. <laughs> and this father is the one who lifts us up and says, you're going to be okay. You're with me. Right? And that's what he did uh, for David as well. Then David goes on to add these verses 18 and 19. It's believed or added later. Look at that, right? Um, that this was pro- may not have been part of the original psalm. And uh, but you tell me why would di- why would we add in here a prayer for Jerusalem? <laughs> yes, he's the king. And yeah, he see, I'll repeat it. He sees himself leading or not leading. Look, uh, just so that you don't feel like I'm opening the can of politics today, um, any leader of any time in history is responsible for um, for the attitude of the people they serve, right? They are, they are the one that people look to and say, that this represents who I am and what I'm doing, where I'm from, whatever it is, right? If it's Caesar, if it's Cleopatra, if it's Richard Nixon, if it's Bill Clinton, whatever, right? They are the standard bearer, right? Like, like me or not, when I go out in the community, I represent King of Glory. It's just part of the responsibility. So yeah, Lord, protect Jerusalem, right? Uh, And especially in my sinfulness, protect them. Another way to look at it is where, so far in in this portion of history, where is the only place a sacrifice can be made? In Jerusalem. So while we're talking about right sacrifices... As I bring my contrite heart to you, into the in the proper place, protect protect us, guide us, those kinds of things. Interesting, right? Interesting. Something that you some of you have sung for how many years is so full of flavor and vitamins and context. Karn. 
Hold on, Larry's coming. Larry, you should roll up there. But is this David who adds this? I don't know. I don't know if David adds it or not. You know, David, look, just like throughout history, the leader, the, all these even leaders have people who help write them for them. <laughs> you know, he had people uh, as well. Yesterday, yesterday uh, I saw, I went to com- I went to Patriots Colony and led a service for convalescence there. And um, got to see some of our folks. I saw Ruth Warren yesterday who uh, has a long road ahead of her. It was a little sad to see her in, in her condition, but, you know, strokes can take a long time to recover from. Uh, I saw, ready for this? I saw a woman named Martha who worships online. Her children, have, her grandchildren have gone to our preschool, and uh, she can't always get here. She lives in town. But she worships online, so she was there. I saw her. I saw uh, Jim Steinmiller. I saw a lot of people over there. I saw Al Friedrich, his new apartment. And I never thought I'd see you all again because I didn't know how to get out of that hole. Like a maze over there. Uh, and I saw um, the Dobers. Now I saw, what's his name? Bob Sandage, who's a newer member. Uh, he's there, Bob Sandage. So, Bob Rump was, did not come to the service, so he's got some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, I Forgive me that I have an 11 o'clock appointment, so I will need to leave right away, but I do want to pray with you. I thank, thank you for coming today, and uh, let's make it a goal to at least have to set up one, a fifth table next week, all right? Which means you will have to say, come on and come to Bible study with me. Sometimes I wonder if we should move this to 11. That way you can go to lunch afterwards. But that's a whole other day. We're not doing that. Gracious God. Gracious God, we come before you today. uh, No better than David. In our human condition, our sinful condition, Lord, we often rebel against you. And we ask that you would forgive us. And so we pray the words that we sing. Create in us clean hearts, O God. Renew Right spirits within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. 